You know, we're in the series on the Ten Commandments, and this morning we're going to be looking at, at the Third Commandment. And I'll let you know, I mean, this, is a, this is one that seems really easy, and man, I've struggled with this this week. There's so much here. There's so much to learn. There's so much that I'm still learning. And I hope and pray that God opens up my heart and mind to communicate some of the stuff he's been teaching me. Uh, the commandment is just really very simply stated in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And, um, and let me go ahead and read it to start off by just reading this commandment. And, and again, it's something that we're familiar with. It seems to be very simple. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. May God bless the reading. Let me, let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to come together this morning. And Father, to be able to dive into this commandment. Thank you for the things that you've been teaching me. And Father, I pray that you would now speak through me and in spite of me. Father, help us to hear what you have for us each to learn. Not only to understand it, but Father, to understand and to apply. Uh, Father, I pray your blessing in our time now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're in the series on the Ten Commandments, and this morning, as we said, we're looking at the second commandment, taking God's name in vain. And, and I'll let you know, I think the second and the third and the fourth are all commandments that, that are really commonly misunderstood. They're, they're, they're hard to understand the true meaning. And, uh, and my guess is, for many this morning, some of what we're going to talk about this morning might kind of challenge your, your, you know, your, your understanding of this commandment, because it's a bigger issue than what we often think. Now, to understand what it does mean, I want to take a step back and to look at the third commandment in relation to the, to the whole of the Ten Commandments and understanding you know, what we know about the Ten Commandments and then see how the third fits in. Throughout the study of the Ten Commandments, we've seen that, again, they're, as a whole, they're more important than what we think, that many times people see them as just God's moral rules, God's kind of moral law that he gives us to follow. And what we're seeing is that while they are that, they are God's moral you know, rules for us to follow. They are way more than that. You see, they're not just rules. They're really foundational principles that God has called, given us for life. Principles that he wants us to build our lives upon and, and our behavior and our, even our culture. You see, if we just think of them as rules, we're thinking of things that are behavior-centered, you know, so that God, it's about what God wants us to do. But God is always concerned with more than just our behavior, our, our be, what we do. He's always concerned with our heart, the heart issue that is beneath our behavior. See, he's concerned about who we are. And so with each commandment, it's not just telling us what to do, it's telling us about who we are, this principle of our heart. But it's not only a principle within our own heart, it's also a principle that says something about what's true. And therefore, it speaks about truth that's related to not only ourselves, but even to our culture. So it has an impact on how we view the world. Now, that's why, for those that are visiting, you might think about this Jenga game and what's this. That's why we're using Jenga as an illustration. The idea is that if you think about a Jenga game, you know, you might look at this giant Jenga box, and, and there are certain blocks that I could probably take out of here, and, and I've got to be careful, but if I'm careful, I'm not going to cause the, the, you know, the tower to fall. But as the game gets played, now if I take this block out, the tower is going to fall. If I take either of these, the tower is going to fall because what's happened is that these now are foundation blocks. They're not just extras. They're things that the whole weight of the tower falls upon. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments are God's foundational blocks, God's foundational truths that he's given us to build a successful life and a successful culture. We need to think of our lives like a tower that we're trying to build. Our culture is a tower that we're trying to build. And if we 
forget or break these foundational truths, then what's going to happen is that the whole tower will collapse. And what we're seeing already through the series, and we're going to see as we go in the weeks to come, that so many of the issues that our culture is struggling with now, so many of the things that are so divisive, are at the core rooted to us taking out these foundational blocks. They're symptoms of this problem of removing a foundation. But they're also principles with a promise. See, it's not only if we take it out that the tower is going to fall. If we remember and keep these principles, then they're going to be the foundation for a healthy and successful life, both personally and, again, as a culture. Now, let's think about the third commandment. The third commandment simply is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, the question is, what is that calling us to? And I think for many of us, uh, you know, we're, when we're raised, we're kind of taught something kind of simplistically as a child, and, and we're told to think of it primarily as a, as a basic, simple, moral rule. And sim- it's simply this, you know, don't cuss using God's name. And so when we think of the third commandment, that's, you know, that's what people often think of, you know, so that, don't, when, you know, don't use God's name as a curse word. Don't use it as part of a curse. Don't use it as profanity or when you lose your temper, when something happens, don't yell out God's name or don't yell out Jesus' name and and don't ask God to damn anything with his name associated with it. Now, I will tell you, that is part of what this commandment means. And we should speak of God with respect and the way that we speak of someone tells us something about what we think of that person. Now, this is a principle that we understand even in our human relationships. So for example, when I meet with a young couple that's getting to get married, one of the things that we'll often talk about is that they'll have friends that will tease them about getting married and, and say things about, oh, don't do it. You still got time to get away. You get the ball and chain. You know, you're sure you're making the mistake of your life. And we've all heard that. And, and I will tell them, okay, you know, I know that it's claiming to be unjust and jest, but, but as, as followers of Christ, we should never joke that way. And, and here's why. You see, if I joke in that way, what I'm doing is that I'm implying that my wife is a ball and chain. I'm implying that my marriage is something is, you know, that that I've been enslaved to, that it's something that's terrible that I'm locked into. And and if you hear me saying terrible things about marriage, even in jest, the fact is that I'm really in the process speaking down against my wife. When I speak in vain about marriage, I'm speaking about her. And that's always wrong. And and it reveals that I have a heart problem. See, if I'm joking, the fact is it's not just about jokes. I'm thinking that way because there's something broken about the way that I'm thinking about my wife. Jesus talks about this in Matthew, he says, or Luke. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, a person's mouth speaks. It's out of our heart. What we say always reveals something in my heart. So if I'm speaking negatively about marriage, it shows that my heart's broken in relation to my wife. And that's true not only in my relationship human-wise with my wife, if I speak negatively in a disrespectful way about God, it says something about my relationship with God. So we shouldn't use God's name as profanity. We, We should be bothered when others do it as well. And that's part of the third commandment, but it's only a small part. It's not the primary meaning. And, and, and again, let me try to even show you that. Let me ask you to step back and think about some things for a minute. Does it make sense that this would be the only meaning? And here you have God giving these 10 principles, these 10 laws that he's giving to Israel to say, I want you to build your moral system around these 10 rules. And number three is, thou shall not, when you lose your temper, call out my name. 
And I'm going to get, before I get to don't murder, and before I get to don't steal or don't commit adultery, before that, I'm going to tell you, you know, when you, when you hit your finger with a hammer, uh, when your kids have a bad report card, when your kids take the car and run over a mailbox, not that my kids have ever done that, but uh, whenever that happens, whatever happens, thou shalt not call out my name in frustration. Now, again, that's part of it, but is it possible that there's something more? And not only that, let's remind you that, again, we're seeing it in the context of the Ten Commandments, and what are we seeing in the Ten Commandments? They're not just moral rules. See, that's kind of a moral rule if that's all we see it. They're more than that. They're foundational principles. They're principles that God wants us to live by. Now, again, now think of this. Is this a foundational principle that you lose your temper and God says, don't call out my name. If you call out my name, if you say it wrong, the whole tower is going to fall. You know, the life is going to fall. Cultures are going to fall just because of that reason. Again, I'm not downplaying the significance of that. But I want you to see that it is a foundational principle and the meaning of that is something that is deeper. Now, here's one of the reasons that we struggle with this. It's a, when, we, when we use God's name in that way, in a, in a profane way, it's a symptom of the problem, but it's, it's a symptom of the deeper problem. But if we understand this, we've got to say, then what is the meaning of the command? And we struggle with that in large degree because of some of the wording. You know, what does it mean to take God's name in vain? That's the commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So let's look at two big questions. Number one is... Why is the name of God so significant? What does that mean? And second, what does it mean to take it in vain? So first question, what is the significance of God's name? Let me ask, what is the significance of a name? Is it just a label that you give to things so that you can tell them apart? For those that have multiple kids, you know, did you just choose, uh, you know, could you just say, well, you're child A, B, C, D, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to give you a label so I can tell you apart so that when I call you, you know, you know which one you're supposed to come. Now, is that what a name is? Is it just a label or is it more than that? Even, uh, it's interesting when a young couple has a child, they often get baby books and they'll go through the baby book and look at all these names and choose names. And, and what I find is that increasingly people, I like the sound of that name. You know, they choose to send, you know, I like the sound or, um, you know, maybe I knew somebody that, that I liked that had that name. And, and we avoid it because I don't like the way it sounds. It doesn't go with the last name. Or I knew somebody that I didn't like. I've got a confession even in that. It, when we were having our, our girls uh, and we were talking about names and we started to go through them and every time Sandy would choose a name that I didn't really like, I found the best way to get it thrown out is I would say, I really like that name. I dated a girl in college with that name. I think it's a beautiful, I mean, I had great memories of her. And that name was out, gone, you know, you know. It's probably not a way, great way to do it, but it worked. And uh, Now, we choose names based on shallow things, but historically, through much culture, names were chosen primarily for meaning. It's not what they sounded like, it's what they meant. And that was especially true of like the ancient Hebrew culture, that when people chose names, a parent would give a child a name because it was seen as a statement for what the parent wanted the child to become. It was a statement of the character that we wanted them to live into. Now, Sandy and I are very much into this. So when we chose our, our four children, we looked at their names, we looked at meanings. And we chose each one based on a meaning. And, and, and we prayed that that child would become that. And we've told our children, 
This is your name. This is what it means. This is the character we pray that you have. And it's beautiful as we see them grow into that character that we have named them with. Now, if that is the Hebrew concept of names, that it's not just a label, it's a statement of a person's character. Now, let's, let me ask this question. Now we're told don't take God's name in vain. And we have to ask, who named God? Who got, gave God a name? And again, the answer here is God himself. See, when we as parents give a name to a child, we're ones that are older in a sense, we're the source of them, and we're saying, this is what I want you to become. God isn't saying, this is what I want to become. God is saying, I'm the source of myself. This is who I am. This is my character. See, he gave himself names because they were all revealing something of his character. And it's not just one name. He actually gave us many names. Throughout the Bible, there's many names that he gives, not as labels, not saying, well, I know there's other gods there and I'm this one so that you call me by a name. He gives them all these names because he's saying, these tell you something about who I am. If you want to know who I am, I'm revealing myself by the names that I give. Now, there are some places where this is extremely obvious. Let me show you some. For example, Isaiah 57, God says this, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. That's his name. His name is his character. That's who he is. Another passage that we're, many of us are familiar with, we often think of as Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 9, speaking of the coming of Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, again, those are not just labels. They aren't titles. They're descriptions of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Finally, another one. Uh, again, we think of this as Christmas. As, as we think of in, in uh, Matthew chapter 1, after uh, Mary was found with child, the, an angel came and appeared to Joseph. And he told Joseph this. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You will call his name uh, Yahshua. Uh, 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 literally, it's, it's a word, that the name means God saves. His name will be God saves. Why? Because that's who he is. He's God that came to save. He's God that came to save people from their sins. It's who he is and what he came to do. Okay, let me take one more passage, and this one shows the same idea, but from a different angle. Again, a very familiar passage. 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. Okay, so Goliath is coming out every day and he's proclaiming you know, curses upon the people of Israel, challenging them to fight. Finally, David goes out and look at what he says to Goliath when he goes out to meet him on the battlefield. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And what does he say? And he says, I come to you with the name of the Lord. You see, he's saying, you have your weapons, swords, uh, you know, uh, spear, javelin. Those are your weapons. This is my weapon. But what does it mean? Did he just hop, you know, hop around Goliath and say, Yahweh, 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 you know, just chant his name and that was the weapon? No. What he's saying is, I come to you in the character of God. I come to you, when I say the name, it's all that God is, all that is revealed in his name and his character. That's my weapon. That's what I come to you with. So the name of God is an expression of the reality of who God is, his character. And therefore, when it says, don't take the name of the Lord God in vain, it's not just saying, okay, don't misuse his name, don't use it as a profanity, but it's saying, don't speak of God 
wrongly. Don't speak of him lightly. Now, again, God reveals his name as a reveal of character, and there is a sense how we speak of his name reveals something of our character. So it's, it is that, but it's more than that. You see, it's not only taking God's name lightly, we are guilty when we take God lightly. Okay, so then what does it mean then to take his name in vain? What does that idea of taking anything in vain? Now, again, one of the reasons we struggle with this is that we don't ever use this wording. I mean, when's the last time you talked about taking anything in vain? It's just not terms that we use in this way very often. So when we read it, we don't really understand what it means. So let's break it down again. For the, first of all, when it says we take, um, take his name or use in some translations, the word literally means lift up or exalt. And then when it says vain, the word vain could be translated as empty or worthless or meaningless or in a way that has no impact. So, so it has this idea of you know, emptiness, meaninglessness. So the command literally says, do not lift up, do not exalt the name of the Lord in a way that is vain, worthless, empty, or in a way that has no impact. Now, even here, you see it continues to challenge our simplistic idea of it just as a curse word. Because again, while that is wrong, if we just say it, don't use God's name in a way that demeans it, that lowers it. You see, here it's saying not only that, it's saying that we can be guilty when we lift it up. We can actually lift up the name of God in a way that is small. We can, in a sense, be claiming to lift it up, but in a way that is meaningless, that doesn't change anything, that doesn't have any impact, that's vain, it's empty in that way. Our conversation sounds good, but it isn't changing anything. What it's saying is that we should resist the temptation to try to relate to God in a way that is shallow or that is empty or that is meaningless. God is saying, I want to be a part of your life. I want to be a part of your culture. But I don't want to just be this little piece that you put on Sunday morning where you say the right stuff on Sunday morning and then you go out throughout the rest of the week and nothing's changed. Because it shows that what you're doing on Sunday is empty and it's vain and it's meaningless. There's nothing there. This is what Jesus talked about in Matthew when he quoted from Isaiah. It says, This people honors me, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He's saying they're honoring me with their lips. They're saying the right things. When they worship me, they're, they're proclaiming my name, but they're doing it in a way that's vain. It's empty. Why? It's empty and vainless and, 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 and meaningless because as doctrines, they're teaching commandments of men. They're taking my name and they're saying it, but then they're saying, okay, how do we, how do we make God agree with whatever we want to do? See, they're not changing their lives. There's an empty proclamation, but they're totally missing it. Again, so what does this mean? Let's think about this and say, you know, how do we take a name in vain? And, and here's again, this is this question we don't, do this that often. We don't use this language, but you know what? We even understand this principle. Let me explain it, because we do take names in vain. We just don't call it that, and we know it's wrong. All right, think about how we use names. We use names, we all use names, because names have influence. They have power. We understand that names can even open doors. I'll illustrate it, because I'll have you repeat a sentence for me, right? Finish this sentence. When you're looking for a new job, the most important thing isn't what you know, it's who you know. Now, we've all said that. We know that. What is it saying? 
The important thing isn't what you know, it's what names you know. Because if you have the right name, and you use that name, that name will open doors. We talk about name dropping, and what is a name dropping? Well, I'm going to drop a name in a conversation, and whether it's an interview or just in personal relationship, because I'm hoping that that name somehow gives me credibility. It makes me look better. Let me, again, use another illustration that I think we can, anybody, especially with children, can understand. If you have more than one child, there's times that you've got a child and they're locked inside a room and, and the other child wants to get in and the child is pounding on the door, let me in, let me in. And the child on the inside, no, no, I don't want to. And so the child is pounding, accomplishing nothing, and suddenly he disappears. He's gone for a couple minutes. He goes outside. And then he comes back and he said, you have to let me in, dad says. Now suddenly, what happens? The door opens because of the name. There is a name that has power. He appeals to the name. And what it's implied here is that, okay, this child, he didn't just go to any, any adult and say, will you tell them to open the door? No, he's got to go to dad. He's got to go to someone who has relationship with him. It, it implies that, that there's, you know, asking, okay, dad, they won't let me in. Well, why do you want to go in? Well, I want to beat them up. You know, dad's not going to say, okay, great, you know, yeah. no. It implies that you're saying, God, I want, Dad, I want to get in. Why? Because of this reason. And Dad says, well, I agree with that. What you want to do is in line with what I want. So I'm going to give you the power of my name to accomplish that. Now, okay, let's go to another example. And again, some of these even, let me show you how it's not only used rightly, but how we know it's wrong when we use it wrongly. Okay, let's say that I go to Washington, D.C., and I decide I want to go see the White House. And I march up to the gate of the White House, and I say, I want to go in. I want to go see the Oval Office. I want to go see what it's like. And I'm probably not going to get a real good reception, right? But then they say, well, who are you? And if I say, well, I know Joe Biden. He's a friend of mine. He invited me to come. He's, I'm, I'm here on his invitation. Well, suddenly that might change things. Now, what are they going to do? They're going to check to see if that's true. They're going to check to see if I'm on a list. They're going to call the office, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, Mike Ribbro, he's a good friend. With, he's, I'm not a good friend with Joe Biden. But just to, let's say, you know, but if, they, if that were true, you see, suddenly the fact that I know that name, I use that name, I have a relationship with that name, that's going to open up all kinds of doors. I'm suddenly in. On the other hand, if it's not true, what am I doing? I'm using the name in vain. I'm using it empty. I'm claiming something that isn't true. And if I go to there and I say, well, I deserve to go in there, and I know Joe Biden, the fact is my using it in an empty way is probably going to get me arrested because then we know it's wrong. Or another example, let's take financial. Let's say I decide I'm going to a you know, fancy car dealership, and I go there and I choose top-of-the-line car, and I said, I want this car, and well, how can you pay for it? Well, here I suddenly pull out a check, and it's got Bill Gates' name, and it's got a signature on the bottom. And suddenly that name opens up doors. But they're going to check to see if it's a valid check, right? They're going to check and see. Now, they're going to look. Do you really know Bill Gates? They're going to ask, you know, did you give him permission to do this? Is this consistent with what your desires are? And if it's like, oh, it does, the name on that check is going to open up doors. It's going to buy me what I want. It has great power. But if I'm using it in a way that's vain, if he didn't do that, we call that forgery. I'm writing the name. I'm faking it. It's forgery. And again, we know that's wrong. I'm getting arrested because we know it's wrong to use a name in a vain way. And it's not only the rich and powerful. How many of you have been concerned about identity theft? What's identity theft? It's just simply people coming and taking your name and using it in a way that's vain. They're claiming authority. They're buying things, signing contracts, doing things 
that are not true, and we know that's a crime. That's offensive to us. We wouldn't want anybody to do it to us. My friends, if we understand that it's wrong to take a name in vain in human relationships, now we start to understand what God is saying. Do not take my name in vain. So how do we understand this principle then of taking God's name in vain? Again, it's not just, you know, um, you know speaking in him in a profane way. It's a way that we can forge a signature, that we claim to have a relationship when in reality we don't. We're using his name in a way that's empty and meaningless. Now, there's a lot here. And I'm just going to kind of do an introduction to a couple ideas because we could spend a whole, in fact, I'm still learning and reflecting on these things because, you know, there's so much that's here. But let me just kind of introduce a couple of ideas. One is that we can be guilty of speaking of God in an empty way. You know, it's, again, it's not that we, you know, that we, um, you know, speak of him in irreverency and as a curse word or whatever but that we speak in him in a way that lacks the proper reverence. We, we, it's empty. It's meaningless. And, and there's a lot of ways that we do this. We all do it. I mean, how many times that if you just, you know, you're saying something, I promise, I promise to God. Okay, wait a second. You're just throwing God in there in a way that is really empty and meaningless. Suddenly you're throwing God in there and you're somehow saying, well, God's behind me and that's what you're implying. But have you really given thought to what you're saying? And sometimes the promise is a bigger one. I mean, for, you know, for yesterday we had a wedding and we had a, a young couple and they sat there and they gave vows and we asked them, these are promises that you make today, not only to the other person, but also to God. Do you willingly make these vows before God? I do. Well, okay, you vowed to love, honor, and cherish to, for better, for worse, richer, poor, sickness, and health. Are you really doing that? And the fact of the matter is that's a vow that we made before God. And that is something that God takes very seriously. Are you taking it as seriously as he does? We should be. Or other things that, again, seem to be much smaller. I mean, how oftentimes do we have in a conversation, well, God told me, you know, I was doing this, and, and I was, you know, God, God wants me to do this. Are you really, look, you don't just say, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to bring God in, because I'm speaking in him in an empty way. And that shows an irreverence towards him. No, have you really prayed about it? Have you sought God's counsel? Have you sought you know, counsel from other people? And you better do that before you bring God's name in. Don't just throw his name in an irreverent way, in an empty, meaningless way. I know sometimes I'll even talk to people and they're, they'll tell me that there are things that they feel they, God is calling them to do and it might be you know, something wrong. God's telling me I should divorce my spouse and well, is there biblical grounds? Well, no, but I just, God's telling me to do that. And no, God hasn't told you to do that. God tells you in his word that it's wrong. And for you to come and say, well, God's telling me, and for me to somehow feel like I can throw God in here and it gives me some semblance of spirituality so nobody can question me. My friends, that's breaking the third commandment, and God takes that extremely seriously. It's a foundational principle. Well, that's one way we do it. Another way is, is we can settle for meaningless connection with God. Now let's go back and think about the commandments. The first commandment is don't worship any false gods. Have no other God before you. The second commandment is, is don't worship the true God in a false way. Don't make God into an image. And what this is teaching now as we come to the third and we see it in connection is it's telling us that it's possible for us to believe in the true God and even to believe the right things about the true God, at least theologically. Come to church and say the right words, to sing the right songs, but then in practice, we reveal 
that all the things that we're saying, all the things that we say about his confidence and, and who he is and our surrender to him, all those words are in reality vain and empty and meaningless because they aren't changing us. Our lives aren't being impacted by these things that we claim to be true. You see, the problem isn't that we're using God's name in vain in the sense that we're making it a curse word, but we're lifting it up. We're proclaiming it as true, something that we celebrate when we say the right things, but our actions reveal that although we're lifting it up, the words are meaningless. They're empty. We're taking his name in vain. We relate to him as he was the small and significant part of life. Oh, he's there on Sunday morning. But when we go out, leave church, the fact is he just seems to be the small and significant part of who we are. We seldom think about him. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7. We don't think of this as the third commandment, but it's exactly what this third commandment is about. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There will be people who will use my name, but they're taking my name in vain because their lives aren't being changed. Continues on. On that day, many will say to me, there will be many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? God, we did this and we said all the right things and we jumped through the right hoops. And then Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. You had the right words. You were in church, but you never had a real relationship with me. It was words, but the words were empty. They were vain. And our actions throughout the week reveal that all the things that we claim to believe, believe to be true on, on Sunday aren't translated into what our life looks like throughout the week. In a sense, the emphasis here is on hypocrisy. The third commandment is all about hypocrisy. And even then, when we think of a hypocrite, you know, people criticize the church. The church is full of hypocrites. And, you know, you hear that all the time. Well, what, do, what is a hypocrite? And people will say, well, the, it's somebody that, you know, that on Sunday they do this, and then this, you know, they're not who they claim to be on, throughout the week. No, that's not even a right definition of hypocrisy. And, and again, this is what's being taught. See, a right definition of a hypocrite is a hypocrite is someone who is not themselves on Sunday. It's not someone who, you know, doesn't live up to what they claim on Sunday and they're not themselves. No, the hypocrite is someone who literally is putting on a mask and we're proclaiming the right words on Sunday, but then we go out throughout the week and we show that that was the mask. That was what was empty. That wasn't real. We're not ourselves on Sunday. The real us is revealed by who we are throughout the week. And what we need to realize is that in our lives, we've got to say, okay, do you have a real relationship with God? The third commandment is God saying, okay, don't just tell me about the, do you worship the right God and you have the right beliefs about him? Is it real? Is it, is it just words that you say and that you forget about when you go out Monday? Or is it something that is real that's what you really believe, that you're applying these truths into your own life? Because that's what God wants, a real relationship where we have a real relationship with a real God based on a real truth that redefines not only what we think, but who we are. Well, these all things are stated in the negative. Don't take God's name in vain. But if we were to turn that around and say, what is then God calling us to? God is calling us to a relationship with him where our words match our reality 
where we not only say the right things, but our, our, our reality, what we believe, who we become is aligned. And it starts with having the right relationship. Again, you think of the child that goes to the door, you know, open the door, he runs to dad. You don't just run to anyone, you run to your dad, to the person you have relationship with. My friends, that's the first thing. You see, again, this is not about religion and rule keeping and the Ten Commandments aren't a bunch of rules. If you do this, God's happy with you. They're heart issues. See, and the heart issue behind it all is that it's about a relationship with God. And so God's saying the first thing is you really know me, not know about me, not are you trying to do, do you know me? See, in a relationship with God isn't based on our performance. It isn't based on our keeping the commandments, our rule keeping. It's based on not what we do, but what God has done for us. It's not us working our way towards God. It's us acknowledging that we could never work our way towards God, but that God has come to us through Jesus Christ. And where we can never undo our sin, Jesus Christ died on the cross to take our sin, to take the punishment for our sin upon himself, so that all who would believe in him, he forgives our sin and he gives us relationship with, with God. My friends, do you have that? That's the starting point. Do you just think about it? Do you say it? Or do you have it? And if you don't have it, God is inviting you to that relationship. And you say, I don't deserve it. I don't. That's, a, that's a good starting point, to know you don't deserve it. We, none of us deserve it. We don't accomplish it. We come to God as we are. We let him change us. He's calling you today and saying, will you ask me to forgive your sins? Will you accept this gift of relationship? That's the starting point. This, is that your reality? And if it is, then the next question is, do you align with his will? You know, when you look at that and you say, okay, what is the reality? Is that if I come to God and I say, okay, again, the child that comes and says, you know, let me in. Dad, you know, he's got to let me in. Why? Because I want to go beat him up. You know, dad's not going to say, great. What's the, if you come and you say, well, he's hurt, I'm, I'm this, or, you know, if you're something right, dad says, yeah, that's what I want. I'm going to give you. And the same thing is that if we say these things that are true about God, that means that we are looking to God and we're saying, God, what do you want? I'm running to you in this relationship, and I'm saying, this is what, what do you want? And I'm letting you correct me. I'm, I'm trying to, to let you say, well, if this isn't what you want, okay, then how do I change? Because I have to align, I've got this relationship with my dad, and I've got to, to do what my dad wants me to do. In other words, for me to say that you're my dad, to say that you're my king, to say that you're my God, and then you tell me to do things, and I brush them off, that means that all the things that I'm saying about who you are aren't really true. They're empty, they're vain, they're worthless. And not only that, but then we need to learn to apply the truth that we know. And so that even, for example, when we sing certain songs, do you understand, don't just say these things. Don't, don't make them vain. They sound good. Don't get caught up in the emotion. Think about the songs and then say, this is truth. We just did a minute ago, we sang Waymaker. You are the Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. My God, that's who you are. My friends, when we're in the middle of struggles and you're in the middle of difficulty, do you understand that that's true? Go and claim those truths about who God is. And if he is the way maker, then look to him. If he's the promise keeper, then trust him. If he's a light in the darkness, then look for his wisdom. Believe and apply those things. In a minute, we're going to sing, King of my heart. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain that I drink from. He is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. He is my song. Now, are we going to sing that and it just sounds good? Music's beautiful, but it's vain and it's empty because it doesn't mean anything? Or are we going to say, those are truths that I'm proclaiming to my own heart. 
God, I want you to be the king of my heart. God, I give you the right to be the king of my heart. I want to be the mountain where I run when I'm in trouble. I want you to be the fountain that I drink from when I'm thirsty, that you're the source. I want you to be the shadow that, that, I, that I look to when I'm, when I'm threatened, that these aren't just truths that I say, but they're, they're realities that I own because I don't want to just take these, these truths about God, his name, his character. I don't want to just take them in vain. I want to make them real. My friends, God calls us to that kind of reality of relationship. And the more that we embrace that, the more that we find it's this foundational truth that holds the whole tower up. The more that we just think that church is something that you do on Sunday morning and we proclaim these truths. You could have all the right beliefs about God and about who he is, but if you don't have the reality of this relationship, if you're not applying these truths, the fact is the truths may be there, but because you're not applying them, it's not going to hold up your life. It's not going to hold up a culture. God invites you to this relationship today. If you have that, just to continue to affirm that we run towards him, run toward that truth. If you don't have that, he invites you to it today. And even as we close in song, I'd encourage you, think about the song. Just don't say it in words that are vain and empty. Think about it, apply it, believe it, live it. Because the more that we live it, the more that we find the foundation for our life that we desperately need.